Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be talking about the Thunder Rockets game on Wednesday and discussing the beastly performances from the Breakfast Club members. So this is going to be a very, very fun one to talk about to you guys. And just prefacing this game on Wednesday, not only did Houston have a major loss in star point guard John Wall, but the Oklahoma City Thunder also had a major loss in their star point guard, Shea Gilgis Alexander. So a lot of firepower was sucked out of both teams. We know in last game on Monday, their their first meeting, John Wall kind of invigorated the whole entire squad, getting a lot of buckets to go early. Everyone else kind of picked up on that, and the trend just kept flowing around. They almost messed around and broke an NBA record while they were at it. With John Wall out, sucked a lot of life out of them. With Shea Gilders-Alexander gone, you'd imagine it would suck the life out of the Oklahoma City Thunder as well because Shea has been the team's leading scorer, led the team on Monday. Who's going to be that primary number one option heading into Wednesday's game? You'll find out now in just a second. But but yeah, just some really interesting stuff going on into the game. But once the game actually kicked off, this game was neck and neck. Both teams really weren't shooting that well. Houston got on a little bit of a lead early on in this first, but got taken right back from them because OKC ended the quarter on a 14-5 run and they were able to snag a 5-point 30-25 lead going into the second quarter. And this is a lot bigger than it may read right here because if you all recall from Monday's game, Oklahoma City got torched in the first quarter and there was no coming back. When you're down 48-24 to through the first 12 minutes, are you kidding me? How are you going to come back from that? So they are down big time, and in this one, I mean, they're up five. And the main reason why that's the case is because Houston, they simply could not make their threes. They were just going guns blazing from downtown on Monday, and the game plan never changed. Steven Silas made it clear to these guys, we want you jacking up shots from deep early. Get a big lead so we can rest up for our next one. And that's exactly what they did. They shot 11 of 14 on Monday from three. In this game, they shot four of 13 from downtown in that first. So not like really any change in how many attempts they're taking. Really different results though. So they couldn't get that lead that they wanted. Really struggling from downtown. Hoping they'd fix it in the second quarter. But as it stood right there, it was clearly an issue. This big lead that they wanted once again did not happen, and clearly they didn't have a lot of success on the defensive end of things either because they just were not prepared for Oklahoma City without Shea Gilgis Alexander. There were a ton of cuts to the basket all over the place. There wasn't one in particular person just driving in. It was like someone maybe standing up top for a little bit, waiting for the cuts, get the cut to go. Pass it inside. You got the easy lip. You know what I'm saying? And then there's even times when you got people trying to ISO. Just a lot of different guys coming in and out, bringing their flair to the basketball game. And in particular, Kendrick Williams and Darius Baisley, they were just in attack mode in the first quarter. They kind of led the way there. And the lineup just kept changing. As I said, all 10 of the active players on the roster ended up playing. With SGA gone, with Hill gone, and four guys off, 
to Orlando, yeah, there were only 10 guys left. And all 10 of them got to play in the first 12 minutes. We've seen this with Dagnall in some of these other games. And it's been with like 12 players. I don't even know. Maybe there was a 13-player lineup that was all used in the first quarter once. Don't quote me on that. But he's been testing stuff out. And he wanted to test it out in the Rockets game. Seemed pretty solid. And for Houston, they really struggled trying to, as a team, stop all 10 of these guys. There were way too many open looks given up. And on the offensive end, they were just clumsy. I think they had six turnovers or something. So they did not want that to start up. They only had a five-point deficit, though. So still a little bit of light there for the Rockets to take off and go away with the lead. But in the second, it was really just much of the same. The Thunder got on a quick 12-4 run to kick things off. They got the lead up to 14 points, and six of those 12 points came at the hands of Kenrich Williams. So he was beasting, and OKC continued to build this lead up. They got a lead as large as 19 points in that second quarter, and it would have stayed that way if Houston did not get a couple of threes to go late. They hit two Tray balls in the final two minutes and 30 seconds. They got the lead trimmed down to 11 by half, but you know, they were struggling a bit. Still got that double digit deficit to overcome in that second half. And going into the third quarter in just that second half, they actually caught a break because Lou Dort, he was gone. I believe there was some sort of soreness uh, that he had in that first half, and Mark Dagnall pulled him out. We saw with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he was kind of limping a couple possessions on Monday. And Mark Dagnall took the precautions to pull him aside and just talk about it. SGA played through the pain. He didn't play in this one. Could it have been from that play? Honestly, I don't know. It was kind of just like a last uh, blink of the eye kind of move where SGA was not going to be active in this one. But maybe that's what it was. And maybe Dort may be out a couple extra games to just heal up. But he was gone. And that's exactly what the Rockets needed because it took out debatably, and maybe it's not even a debate, he's just a really good perimeter defender. And when they're chucking up three after three, they don't want a guy drenched all over them. That's exactly what Ludor does. He clamps up on you and you can't get the shots you want. Take him out the ball game, you think it would be different. But it actually was the same and maybe even worse because they shot one for 11 from three in that third quarter only 15 points came out of the quarter for them so they put all the marbles in the three ball did not work out for them whatsoever and all they got to show for it is measly 15 and oklahoma city they stayed consistent they shot 12 of 21 in the third that's 57 percent right there and they shot 0 of 6 from three and unlike the rockets who just kept going at it, waiting for success to appear out of nowhere, they kind of understood that the shots were not falling. They didn't take an excess number of shots. They capped off at six. They said, let's work down low. It worked at times in the first and second quarters. Let's abuse it. And that they did. That's why they were able to shoot so well. And that's why they were able to get a 23-point lead come the fourth quarter. So flip the script. Houston kind of was in this position on Monday. Thunder gets a shot at it on Wednesday. They just need to hold on for dear life, and they should be good to go. And they did just that and even more. They took a lead as big as 30 points 
in this game. That is their season high. They have not had a lead of 30 points at all this season until Wednesday. So that is a big accomplishment. And we did it without Shea Gildas Alexander. Like, wow. That just is a testament to how good our bench guys have become. Everyone just collectively came together to get up to that 30 point mark. And there was actually a really cool play in this one in the fourth. Teo Maladon, he's going to be on Sports Center for this whole entire day. Um, I'll go in and what that play was when I go over him, but oh my God, he went crazy. And for the humor things, you know, the Thunder, she kind of want to bait the Houston Rockets a little bit. They were going a little bit too hard on uh, on the gas pedal there on Monday. They were going at it for the full 12 minutes of that fourth quarter. You know, just tease them a bit. Let them get a little bit back into this game. Give them that like glimmer of hope. They had a 8-3 to run with four minutes to go. So they were like 18 points away, I believe, from catching up to the Thunder. And it seemed like they had momentum. Actually, they entirely did. But then OKC, they just got a couple shots to go, and it was pretty much wraps. OKC ended up winning this one 104-87. So taking the 17-point W for the game. Ultimately, I think the reason OKC won this game was due to their options. Five players scored in double figures, and they were contributing at all three different levels of scoring. While it took Houston 40 minutes to get their foot in the door on this game, and even by that point, I mean, they were just a one-trick pony. They were living and dying by the three. That's not going to work when OKC is not missing their twos. And the proof of this comes in the first two quarters of the game. Houston had a streak in that first half where they literally missed... 15 of the last 16 three balls that they had. Can you not limit yourself there a little bit? Like, come on now. I mean, if you're making them, you're making them. If you're bricking every single time, what are you doing? Pull the plug, work on your inside game. You got Christian Wood, who, I mean, you should have used him to your advantage. Just drive in over and over again. You'll get some points there. Didn't do that. They'd rather settle for the Eric Gordon three ball or whoever wanted to take it just was not falling, and they didn't know how to kind of control themselves. Spiral, downward spiral right there. And while Houston was doing that, Oklahoma City, they were just going to all areas of the floor and getting extra passes in. 10 of their first 12 field goals came off assists, and Houston, they had nothing they could do about it. I mean, offensively, they weren't passing the ball around. Defensively, they couldn't stop anybody. So it was a major issue for them. And that's why they just could not get in the game whatsoever. They had a couple of bright spots in this game. They had Eric Gordon. He got promoted to the starting lineup in this game due to the absence of John Wall. 22 points on 8 of 15 shooting. 3 of 9 from downtown though. So that's not very good. Oladipo had 19 points for them on 8 of 24 shooting, 1 of 8 from downtown, what? And Christian Wood, he didn't shoot a lot. Only 8 points to show for his 22 minutes of play. That was on 3 of 7 field goals and 2 of 4 3-point shooting. So he only shot 3 times inside. 
you would imagine a guy like Wood would just be trying to abuse his athleticism when going to the rack. Did not happen, so was not a huge factor. Off the bench, they had DeMarcus Cousins with 10 points and Sterling Brown with 11, but they just did not have enough star power to stop the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, I mean, they just left their game plan the exact same, as I've probably mentioned like two or three times, but, I mean, they shot 46 three-pointers. They had 52 three-pointers attempted in their near-record-breaking game. I mean, they broke a franchise record, not the NBA one, but still, historic game on Monday. They shoot 52 threes. I don't know if they thought they were still, like, in that hot zone. Maybe temporarily they were, but no. I mean, you can't shoot 46 three-point shots when you're only making 26% of them. So, a little bit mind-blowing there. It didn't work out for them. And for OKC, just leaving the door open on everything helped a ton. They just shot 33 triples compared to the Rockets 46 and they hit 30% of them that's not where you want to be you want to be at least like mid 30s if you can get high 30s that's elite as a team collectively but you're shooting for like 33% higher so a little bit below where you'd want it to be and they didn't go crazy with it because the twos were working for them so just getting inside getting wherever they wanted helped them out got them that w and one of the things that helped that's not actually going to show on that field goal uh, sheet, they won the free throw battle 26-13, to 13, doubling the attempts at the line, and OKC ended up hitting 22 of those 26. Normally, they've struggled at the line, not in this game, shooting 84%, near 85. And then for the Rockets, I mean, they only hit 9 of their 13, so big advantage to the Thunder right there and it just is so telling on how they're playing you can tell that okc is trying to run the fast break they're going right into the depths of the defense rockets run your standard half court not even driving in really just pulling up constantly and hoping for some good results was not working out for them and i think the game for the thunder just started and ended with the breakfast club and if you guys are not really familiar with what the Breakfast Club is, it's just the second unit for the Thunder. So, I mean, typically you're talking about people like Teo Maladone, Hamadou Diallo, Kendrick Williams, Roby, Mike Muscala, Pokachevsky, even though he's not even with us right now. You just get it. Outside your starting five. Th- those are the guys that are on the Breakfast Club. And OKC had 47 bench points, but you got to remember... Maladone had to step up at the point guard role, and Hamadou Diallo was your starting shooting guard. So I don't know if you want to include him in that game uh, for the uh, for the Breakfast Club bench points, whatever. But they had 47 without those two. When you include those two, that total gets jumped up to 69. So clearly, a lot of stuff was working and clicking with the typical second unit guys, and there were just so many great options to choose from and you gotta start with Kenny Hustle himself look at Kenneth Williams man he showed so much flexibility in this game playing the two through four and it translated to the stat sheet he led the team with 19 points in 23 minutes and it was off seven of eight shooting he was not afraid to pull the trigger from downtown normally you don't see him shooting it a lot 
like he'll be posted up in the corners, but it's not like he's firing away. He was in this game, three of three from downtown, and he even got to the line, two of four there, and he got six rebounds and two assists. My goodness, I mean, there was a lineup where Kendrick Williams was literally playing at the shooting guard, and this may have been his best lineup, actually. Maladone was the one, Williams was at the two, Justin Jackson at the three, Roby at the four, and Mike Muscala at the five. Maladone, he likes kicking it out to people. You got Kendrick Williams in the corner. Or, I mean, he's six foot seven, playing against smaller guards like Eric Gordon and Victor Oladipo. Let him drive in, and that's what he did. He knew exactly when he needed to do what in this game. Whenever he was driving in on the smaller defenders, just a constant attack. They really could not stop it. Just blow by after blow by. If he wanted to oppose his will against them, like get a little bit of pressure on him, maybe bump him a bit. I mean, the refs, they were kind of on our side the whole game. So they weren't going to put some air into the whistle. They're going to let the play right out. Williams recognized that. So even more credit to him. Maybe getting a bit rough down there to get the looks he wanted. And yeah, I mean, it worked. I'd say his best play actually came off of a drive where he got the ball up top. I think it was like, actually, you know what? No, it's at the uh, at the wing, but he gets it a little bit crammed. I think someone's in the corner right next to him, and Victor Oladipo's right in front of him. He just grabs it, like looks like he's shifting his body to the right side. So he gets Victor Oladipo wobbling a little bit the other way, and then just shifts his momentum, moves and bursts to the left side to get to the rim. Victor Oladipo, he's not able to get over in time, so he has a clear path. But Victor Oladipo, very good defender, need to be a bit crafty when you're getting your buckets on him. So he gave a beautiful finger roll that touched like the top of the backboard and dropped in for him. So very sweet shot from Kendrick Williams. That's what I loved from him. But that was like only a little bit of his game. Whenever he was going up against the bigger or slower defenders, you know what he was doing? He was going crazy with the backdoor cuts. They're not quick enough. They weren't able to get on him in time. And that's how you're getting two easy ones. See him with your pants down. Go in. You got a green light for two points. Take it every time. That's exactly what Kenrich Williams did. And even when he wasn't trying to score, when he had the ball in his hands, he was looking to find shots for others and I mean with those two assists had a pretty good uh pretty good one right there the one I can recall I mean he's at the top of the key at the three-point line he's got a dude right in front of him I think Isaiah Roby's like cutting inside and his man's a little bit late to go down throws a beautiful pass up to him high arching pass so the defender in front of him can't get it and the person trailing on Roby cannot get it beautifully thrown he's able to get it does a little pump fake to get his man in the air. Quick two points. Love to see it from Kenneth Williams. Not really known for his playmaking, but hey, it's clearly there seeing with what he was doing. But to top it all off, you got defense. Defense has been something that we've always known about with Kenneth Williams. Like he has prided himself on the fact he loves playing the defensive side of the ball. He'll do the nitty gritty stuff to help out the team. And I mean, the offense kind of just comes as a compliment. The defense was still there with us, and even though it's not like he was putting up a ridiculous amount of steals or blocks, in fact, he didn't even have either of those, his presence is just able to help so much. He can play 
through the two to four positions when it comes to defense, as he was doing, kind of creates some havoc. And his plus minus was the highest on the whole entire team. That's how you know his impact was felt defensively. Plus 24. And the only man close to him really was off the bench as well. I mean, Mike Muscala, Roby, and Darius Miller, surprisingly, all had plus 19s. But that's not really that close to the plus 24, man. He was cooking everybody up on both ends. And that's what I love about Kendrick Williams. He does whatever the team needs to do, whether it's him scoring inside, shooting the three, passing the ball, or just clamping up on defense. He will do it. And he will do it with all his heart in the game. So love Kendrick Williams. Probably his best game of the season. I'd say it's up there with his Bulls game where he was a big part of the overtime comeback. Group it in, but very, very solid. Yet another statement game for him. I think he's kind of proven that he's a special player off the bench. Sam Presti, he's uncovered another gem in Williams. And he's a late bloomer. I think he's 25 or 26 years old at this point. So a little bit of late bloomer, but... Still playing very solid. He deserves to have minutes. And my only question is, will he be playing a lot? Like, what is his role going to be when Shea Gilgis-Alexander comes back from the injury? Because his 30-so or whatever minutes he's averaging, being opened up, allowed Kendrick Williams to play those 23 minutes in the game. So, made a statement. We'll see what happens from there. I think the second man you need to talk about is Isaiah Roby and he dropped a total of 13 points two rebounds and an assist in his 19 minutes of play that's on six of nine shooting and I think it's a pretty good birthday present he turned 23 on Wednesday top it all off right here with the W and saw numbers getting into the double digits with him and he was just going right at people, Tacmo, just like Kendrick Williams, just going right into everybody to try to create the open look. And something that I loved about him was he was just initiating contact. When people were sagging off on him, I mean, he was firing away on triples every once in a while. I think he only shot at one time, but he would just drive in whenever he wanted to. And what would happen? He'd initiate the original contact, get down low, Force defenders to try to stand their ground because as I was saying, I mean, these referees were letting the Thunder do whatever they wanted. Very physical and a lot of controversial calls all in the favor of the home team. So you cannot be complaining about this as a Thunder fan. Like I was watching this. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I think there was like a clear path foul uh, that they were reviewing and it was off of like a loose ball. It may have been off Kendrick Williams or Maladone. I'm not sure. But clearly, hits our guy's foot. They didn't see that. They saw it as like a deflection or whatever it was. They get the ball. I think they may have bailed him out and called it a loose ball foul. But damn, that was a weird one. I think the Rockets got a tech because of how infuriated they were. I don't blame them. There were a lot of calls that just went our way. And you're going to be fine with that. So kind of just throwing yourself into the body of the Rockets guys helped out a lot because he got them latched on him and whenever he felt that contact he actually just 
pulled away. He pushed back off him, got the room that he wanted, and he's staring like three feet away from the basket. So he's not going up for like a standing dunk or whatever. This guy that he has has some backwards momentum, so he's not going to be able to get up super high anyways. Just get a quick push shot up. Don't need to do anything flashy. You're going to get it up without the block. That's what he was doing, and that's how he got most of his 13 points on the game. Six of nine, as I said, all six of those shots were coming from inside. So just dominant. Helped out a lot on the high pick and roll again. Obviously, it was not as big as normal. I think Diallo was the uh, ball handler in those situations, but he still got, I believe, one or two buckets off of that. So hats off to Isaiah Roby, and he did a great job defending Christian Wood. Christian Wood did not play like an extended period of time on Roby or anything, but I'm very happy he had a chance to prove himself there. Al Horford, he struggled on Monday to defend Christian Wood. Looked like he may have had some issues against Wood yet again whenever, you know, he's trying to drive in. Serious, serious problems going to happen. And Roby came in and just completely changed things. This is something that I mentioned in the preview pod. I've been talking about it since Monday. I thought that Isaiah Roby would be a great change of pace for someone like Wood who really, I mean, he's 6'10", like 214. He doesn't have the center's body. He is athletic as like a power forward or small forward even. So putting him on a sluggish guy like Al Horford, who, I mean, he's a very refined player, but athletic, like athletically, he's not going to match up with Wood at all. Wood is able to drive by. I don't really think that happens with Roby. Dagnall actually threw him in and it worked. So, so yet again, very, very promising stuff from Dagnall, not being afraid to, you know, try stuff out and see if it ends up working. This is one that definitely worked and it neutralized the Rockets' biggest threat to our team. Big reason why we won. Limiting a guy like Wood to eight points puts you on the right track for sure. Next up, you gotta go with the Breakfast Club members who actually got the upgrade to the starting unit in the game, and you gotta start things off with a 19-year-old rookie, Teo Maladone. And this was not his greatest offensive performance by any stretch of things. He only shot 2 of 12 on the game, 1 of 5 from 3, but he made up for it in other areas. Only 6 points off those shots, 3 rebounds, and 4 assists. But defensively, he was the best guy probably in the entire game. He was disrupting every single passing lane from the get-go, and it led to a career high and probably another Thunder franchise rookie record. I don't know at the time of recording this. I tried researching it. It's so descriptive, like franchise, individual, rookie, performance on steals, whatever it is. I think he may have broken it because he had six on this game and you know what even to go with those six steals he had a block and this block was the highlight of the fourth quarter he got a two-handed snatch block like Victor Oladipo was going up midair for a layup driving layup like slashing between uh a sides of the court or whatnot he's got some momentum on him Maladone really does not have much of a running start, so you'd think if he's going up, he might get embarrassed. That's not what happened at all. He goes for the two-handed snatch block, just rips it right out of Victor Oladipo's hands. Thank goodness they didn't call a jump ball. 
That's one of those plays where I would be really mad if they did. Didn't call it. Let it go. He gets the beautiful block on the former all-star in Victor Oladipo. So not just the steals, but also blocking. And one of the question marks on Maladon has been how can he defend on defense. He had a matchup against probably the two biggest threats the Rockets had to offer outside of Wood. I mean, Eric Gordon and Victor Oladipo, two very, very good, heavily powered offensive guys. And sure, Eric Gordon had 22 points on 8 of 15 shooting. And sure, Victor Oladipo had 19 points. That was on 8 of 24 shooting. And Maladon had a big reason as to why that stuff was happening. It's not like, you know, the ball is just getting rolled over to him six times. He had to earn it, and he's facing up against these people, creating havoc for those two. So, good stuff from Teo Maladon. I probably prefer this six-steal game over the six-three-ball game. Maybe that sounds crazy. Um, Saying it now, I, I totally see how that would look crazy. It's a really big breath of fresh air. So... Good work from the 19-year-old, and you know, there is just a real reason why he wasn't actually pulled over to the Orlando bubble. It's because of his high understanding of the game, and due to the understanding, he's playing a lot of minutes. He's likely going to be the starter whenever SJ comes back. You still got Hill out for four weeks. That's why Maladon's starting. He knows what he's doing, and even when it's not going from distance or wherever you want it to be going he can make it up on defense. So he is a two-way player at this point, I would like to say. Really good stuff. He's got the seeds to become a very great player for the team. And, you know, it's crazy because, as I said, I mean, they actually were discussing Maladone being part of this G League roster when the season regular season started. But he impressed so much that they actually just want him playing with the full-time team. And the exact same thing is with Isaiah Roby as well. They thought he might have benefited from taking a trip to Orlando with the blue. Those two have just shown that they are NBA ready right now, and the progress should be going against the top-tier competition in the world. Dagnall and the organization has taken note of that. That's why they're still suiting up for these games with us, and pretty big stuff because, you know, both those guys have a lot of of room to grow. The other member of the Breakfast Club who got the starting nod, it's Hamidou Diallo, and we know his play style. It's attack, attack, attack. Did it yet again. He had a cool 16 points on the game, 33 minutes of play on 5 of 9 shooting, Yet again, he's just getting to the line whenever he wants. Six of six in Monday's game. I think he got like nine or ten free throws, and he didn't miss a single one. So he is perfect against the Houston Rockets this year on free throws. Gigantic threat when he's slashing the basket. They never could figure him out, truly. And you throw Victor Oladipo on him, not going to stop him. Sterling Brown on him, not going to stop him. I don't know how many times Jay Sean Tate got a matchup with uh, Diallo, but it didn't really matter. You know, he's not going to miss. The shots around the basket are just where he makes his money. One of the best, he's rising up to the occasion, getting moved from the bench unit to the starting unit. Clearly, there's a huge like gap between, you know, your bench shooting guard and your uh, starting shooting guard, specifically with the Houston Rockets. 
Didn't have any issues with it. He was treating Victor Oladipo like a baby at times. So, love to see it from him and love the adaptation he showed. And it wasn't just him attacking. I mean, he let other players have their moments. And whenever he was driving, I mean, not always looking to finish. Sometimes he just didn't even want to be involved in plays. When he saw other people kind of get the microwave going, they got hot. He didn't want to just get the ball and maybe potentially screw up the momentum. He, he like stepped aside for a little bit, took himself out the play, and let the other members of the team work. And the main guy who I'd say fell into this category was Darius Baisley. He had, get this, he had 18 points and 12 rebounds on the night, along with two assists. So he's getting another big double-double game. We have not seen this kind of kind of consistency, I'd say, since the beginning of the year. Kind of dipped down. Looks like he's kind of getting back into the form of things. And 18 and 12 stats, beautiful. On 6 of 13 shooting, by the way. 2 of 6 from downtown and got to the line 4 times, hitting all 4 of those shots. He kind of took the torch from SGA. With him being gone, they needed the number one option. Darius Baisley ended up being that guy. And it started with him just being willing to attack P.J. Tucker. And he did it on Monday, but there's more possessions to be doing that now with SGA out. And he was going right at P.J. Tucker, the slower, smaller defender. I mean, he's a bit bulkier, so you're not going to move him around. But you sure as hell can get around the guy. That's what Darius Baisley was doing. And... Helped out big time, especially in the early parts of the game because he had 11 points and 6 rebounds in just that first quarter. So, really just laid out the groundworks for the team to build around. Kept things going as well though, because he still did get 7 points and 6 rebounds throughout the last 3 quarters of the game though. And he loved taking the contact when he gets to those 4 free throws. You know, we saw times where he's been hesitant to go into people, that's not really an issue anymore. He's gotten a lot more comfortable just using his body and his unique build to his advantage. I mean, this guy's like six foot eight with some long wingspan. I think it's like seven feet. So, you know, stretching those arms out, maybe trying to just move side to side when you're midair, get a little bit of contact. You know, as I mentioned, we had the refs that we loved. We didn't have the Scott Fosters and Joey Crawfords out there. So, you know, they helped us out. Helped out with Darius Baisley as well with those four free throws. And even from three, wasn't afraid to test the range. Even though he only hit two out of the six. Great to see him trying to take the shots out there. So good for Darius Baisley. He has a lot of stuff to build on into the next game that we have. As well as all these Breakfast Club guys. Like, they ran the show here. And they took down a team that beat the Thunder Full force by 30 points. So they completely changed the game here. Made the Houston Rockets look like a bottom four team in the entire league. Look like they would be in contention for the number one pick in the draft. But, you know, you got to look forward from this. The Houston Rockets, they are now 10-10 and 10 on the year. While OKC, they're 9-11. and 11. They can go to 10-11. of 11. And hell, they could go break even come the end of this week because they are going to be matching up against Minnesota for another mini baseball series that's going to be taking place at the peak and it all starts 
on Friday night. They're going to finish that up on Sunday, and then they head over to face the Lakers in Los Angeles. But that's going to be fun to cover the Minnesota series. I mean, they have not been doing that well, so that would be the time to get back up to 500. I think a conversation could be what's going on with the SGA. Listen his day-to-day. Could they be safe with him? Not have him play in this miniseries. Same goes with Dort. Got pulled in that second half. Does he play? I'll be making sure to be breaking down all the latest news coming on to Friday's game. So stay tuned for that, guys. Other than that, though, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.